Das war's. So as we were uh, singing that uh, third song particularly, I just had a real sense of kind of the tender presence of the Lord. And uh, this morning I want to talk about something that's a little uh, difficult to talk about. People who are waiting on God to do something and people are wondering why he hasn't. And I don't think it applies to everybody. I think there are a few people uh, who this is going to hit. And you'll know pretty quickly if it's you. And if it's not you, my encouragement is for you to begin to pray for the those who this is for this morning. I do think uh, the Bible says that a smoldering wick Jesus did not put out and a bruised reed he didn't break. I think this morning there might be a few smoldering wicks and bruised reeds and he just wants to be tender if you'll let him. He wants to be tender to you and work on that raw place in your heart. So if it's you, just be courageous and hang in there. And if it's not, my encouragement to you is just to begin to pray for folks and that they would be open, that they would hear not what I'm saying, but they would really hear what God is saying to them about whatever this situation is in their life and that there would be a, a shift there this morning. So, God, we do pray that. We thank you that you are tender and that you're kind and that you're gentle uh, when that's what we need. And kind of my sense this morning, Lord, is that's what we need. So I pray that you would come just in a, a, a sweet way and minister to those, particularly those who have been waiting and wondering uh, for a really long time. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I got a few announcements. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John 11. We're going to look at Lazarus. If you were here last week, Brandon... Uh, Scarborough talked about Lazarus. He already gave away the end of the story. Lazarus is raised from the dead. Um, but we're going to start at the beginning. We actually aren't even going to talk about that today. Next week we'll look at the miracle. This week we're going to look at the three or four days but, uh, before that. A couple of announcements. Actually, it's not a couple. It's a lot. Who Made God? Thursday, 730. This is our last Who Made God? The top. We're going to look at cults. Uh, some folks were asking about that. So we're going to look at cults and how some of those things line up with uh, Christian teaching, so that's Thursday at 7.30. Um, dinner on the Square, that's this Friday from 6.30 to 8.30. We'll meet here, and we break up into groups of like 6 or 8, and we go out and eat. It's good for two reasons. One, it helps us connect with one another in a more significant way than just high by on Sunday, and it also blesses the businesses uh, on the Square. So that's July 24th, that's this Friday. Uh, if you need child care, we'll have uh, child care here, $5 for one, $8 for two, $10 for three or more, get a group discount. Um, sign up outside by the 22nd, or you can email a penny to sign up for child care. Worship on the square, that's this Saturday from 6.30 to 9. Uh, we've talked about this before. There's a girl named Deborah Black. She has a leadership team who's pulled together. It's a community-wide worship event. The only purpose is to get people together to worship and pray. She doesn't push any church. He's not pushing any agenda other than Jesus deserves to be worshiped, so let's do that. So that's this Saturday from 630 to 9 on the square. Just come by for some chunk of that. If you're interested in getting more involved, you can see Kim in the back. We need, we're looking for a few people who'd be willing to pray on the microphone. So if that's something that you want to do, then by all means, uh, let us know. Uh, the elementary day camp starts tomorrow. 
So I guess you better sign up today if you haven't signed up. That's at Riverstone, our parent church. You can see Penny about that. Uh, Tuesday, July 28th, we pray here every Tuesday at 730. And on July 28th, we're going to uh, have another one of our healing nights. We did that, I think, uh, in June, had a good response. Elio Arniello will be leading that time again. That's July 28th. So any uh, issues you have, healing, physical, relational, whatever, bring people who need healing. That will be on Tuesday, July 28th. And on Monday, August 3rd, we're going to have a worship night. We're doing those about every four to six weeks from 6.30 to 8 in here. Everyone's welcome. It's not, you don't have to be musically talented or gifted. You just have to want to worship the Lord. And uh, we'll be here from 6.30 to 8. And we also are um, doing things with children. So if you have kids, you need to sign up with Ruth Allen or with Penny uh, next door. Um, We're trying to incorporate worship into the lives of our children as well. So that is that. John 11. All right, here's starting in verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. You can jump down to verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So that's kind of the setup. That's what we're going to look at today. It's kind of this four-day period from when Mary and Martha and Lazarus sent a messenger to Jesus and when Jesus gets back to them. I want us to start by focusing on verse 5 and 6. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Most translations translate that word yet as so. So it's... Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. The reason the NIV translates it yet is because so doesn't make sense. Imagine you, okay, someone you love is sick and you find out about it. So that's the first thing you know. Someone you love is sick and you find out about it. We know that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. John tells us that. Just so we know, these are the guys who Jesus loves. So this is you, someone you love, family, friend, whatever. They're sick, you find out about it. And you can do something about it. The reason Mary, Martha, and Lazarus sent for Jesus was because they figured he can help. They knew who he was. They knew about his ministry. They knew he healed people. They knew he loved Lazarus. It makes sense. Let's bring Jesus here. We know it wasn't an insignificant illness. They would not have sent for Jesus if if it was a headache. They knew this was crunch time for Lazarus. So this is you, someone you love. They're sick. You find out about it. You happen to have the cure in your back pocket. Is your response, you know what? I really love blank, so I think I'll wait for two days until they die, and then I'll go see them. How does, how does that work? And that's what it says. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, so he waited for two days. And he knew Lazarus died. We saw that in the second part of that thing that we read. He, he waited until Lazarus was dead before he went. That does not spell love to me in any language. 
that's where Mary and Martha are, and that's where I think there's some people in this room are this morning. That's the tension. That's the rub for us. We say, we hear, we believe, we read. God is all-powerful. God is all-loving. God loves you. He has a plan for your life. He's a healer. He's a savior. He's a deliverer. He's a redeemer. He's all of these things. But then sometimes Lazarus dies, and it doesn't make sense to us. God, if you could, then why didn't you? If you could, then how come you haven't? And that's where a lot of us live. Everybody will be there at some point. I think there's a handful of people who are here today. You're Mary and Martha. You've sent for Jesus. Maybe more than once. You maybe have been, it's been a long time for you where you've been bringing this thing before him. And it just seems like he's twiddling his thumbs, taking his own sweet time, and you don't get it. Supposedly, there's this Jesus who loves you, who cares for you, who's powerful, who has a good plan and purpose for your life, and he doesn't, he's just waiting around. And for some of you, it's even worse because it's not just that Lazarus is dying, he's already dead. And you don't know what to do. I think there's kind of two different groups. There's people who are still waiting. This is Mary and Martha when they first sent the messenger. They still have hope. We believe Jesus can do this. We have hope. We have faith. We're trusting him to come back. You maybe are feeling that way. There's this thing, you're Lazarus, whatever that is. You want to get married. You want to have a baby. There's someone who's sick and you want them to get better. There's someone who's not a Christian. You're praying for their salvation. There's someone who's in a wreck and you're praying that they would be rescued. Their life's falling apart. You need a job. You need finances. You need direction. Whatever Whatever your Lazarus is, you still have hope. You're waiting. You're Mary and Martha on the first day. Jesus, he can do this. He can do this. Then there are others who are wondering. It's Mary and Martha on the second day after Lazarus died. And you wonder, why didn't Jesus show up? And your Lazarus, in your mind, it might have already died. The window has closed. The opportunity is gone. It's, It's dead. And you're wondering, well, where was this Jesus who everybody talked about? Where was this Jesus who I was trusting in? to fix this. I know he could, so why didn't he? That's what we want to look at this morning. As we get into this, there are a couple of ditches that we need to stay out of. We've talked about this before. The Christian faith's a pretty narrow road. There are ditches on either side. It really doesn't matter which one you fall into. If you're in a ditch, you're in a ditch. You're not on the road. That's the goal for us is to stay on the road. A couple of ditches. If you're waiting, if you're Mary and Martha, you still have hope. Lazarus isn't dead yet. I would say that the ditch that you could be prone to falling into is anxiety. When you begin to wait, and for all of us, we have a threshold on when we get impatient. For some of us, it's five minutes. For some people, it's five days. It's five weeks. It's five, whatever it is, there's a threshold. When you cross your threshold, when you think God should have healed Lazarus, anxiety can set in. And depending on your personality, some people who are anxious, when, when we get anxious, we start kind of running around like a chicken with our head cut off. It's frantic activity. We got to pray more. We got to fast. We've got to give more. We got to find a different church or a better church or more church or start watching TV in. We, whatever it is that we do, if you're doing, uh, never mind. If you're, if you're moving in that direction, none of those things are bad, except maybe some of the things on TV and none of the other things are bad. But if you're doing them out of anxiety, they're not good. 
they don't please the Lord. The Bible very clearly says without faith, we, without faith, we can't please God. And if you're doing things because you're anxious, you're actually trying to leverage him. And it doesn't work that way. I get it. Lazarus is dying and you need God to work. But trying to leverage him, back him into a corner, manipulate him into seeing your situation. It's like you don't need smoke signals and flags and yelling. You don't need all of that. He knows. And if you're revving up in your heart, that's not good. That's anxiety. That's coming from your flesh and that doesn't please the Lord, even though there's nothing wrong with any of those things. And any of those things that you're doing because you feel like the Lord's leading you in that direction or you're doing it in faith, they're wonderful. But if you're doing it because you're anxious, they're not wonderful. So that's one thing to look out for. Other people, when they get anxious, they just go into a, they just shut down. It's going to a shell. It's despair. Well, if God hasn't worked yet, I guess he's never going to. And their anxiety just leads to paralysis. And you just throw in the towel. And then, and this is awesome, you feel guilty about it. This is something that God wanted, so I went for it, and then it didn't happen, so I throw in the towel, and then I feel guilty for throwing in the towel, so I re-up, and then I get anxious again because God isn't working, so then I throw in the towel again, so then I feel guilty, and it's just this cycle. And some of you are on that treadmill, and that's where you are. There's this thing that you're, you're, you're wanting Lazarus well, and you go for it, whatever that looks like, and it doesn't happen, and you say, I'm done. I'm through with it, I'm fed up, and you walk away. And then a couple of weeks or a couple of months later, it, it's still in your heart. And so you repent, and you say, okay, God, I believe you, and you work yourself up again, and you've got this fresh faith, and then you're waiting again. It's just a cycle. So that's one ditch. The other, I would say, this is for people who are wondering, maybe the window's closed, Lazarus is dead, unchecked disappointment. It's natural to be disappointed when Lazarus dies. That's that you should be this thing that you were hoping for, believing for, praying for. When that doesn't happen, you should be disappointed. If you want to move God lower on the Christmas list for a few days, that's that's fine. What's not fine is keeping him there. If you if you don't deal with the disappointment, if you don't bring that to the Lord, it goes one of two directions. You either get bitter, which is terrible. Bitterness is like kudzu. You can't contain it. You have to kill it. You can't keep it in one area of your life. You all know people. We call them bitter old men and bitter old women. Something happened to them a long time ago, and rather than dealing with it, they left it there, and that bitterness just spreads into every area of your life. You're upset because your mom wasn't healed of cancer. You should be. Don't think that you can keep that disappointment in that one area it will spread into every relationship you have everything you do will be tinged with bitterness unless you deal with it you cannot keep it in one area of your life it doesn't work that way for others and i think this may be for some of you i think when you're disappointed when god doesn't do what you wanted him to do it doesn't make you bitter it just it kind of moves you to the back of the bus you take on this kind of second class citizen mentality particularly if there was a stretch in your life where you you did some things that you were ashamed of and you can fill in the blanks there. What you might think is, well, you know what? I didn't get this because I did this. I just, I don't deserve any better. I don't deserve more than this because of the way I lived for however long. This is my punishment. This is my judgment. This is my lot. It's not true. Either you're forgiven or you're not. 
And if you're forgiven, then you're forgiven. And God's not, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't circle back that way. Well, remember that time when you were 10? Well, that one I chose not to forgive, and I'm going to stick it to you now. It's not how he works. But for some of you, that's what happens. You know God heals, so he didn't heal in your family, so it must be something's wrong with me. And you move to the back of the bus, and you shut down some part of your heart. You figure that there's something wrong with you, your damaged goods, and all of these things in the Bible are for other people, not for you. And it'll crush you in time. So be, be careful of both of those ditches. Here's a, a few things that hopefully will help you get through the waiting and the wondering. This is verse 33. When Jesus saw her, that's Mary weeping, and the Jews who come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Those verses, I think, show a picture of Jesus. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that we lose. All of the words in those, the verbs in those, um, in that passage, they're these emotive words. Jesus was deeply moved. He groaned. He was troubled. He wept. One of the knocks on God is he doesn't get it. He's way up there somewhere with his perfect self, and he doesn't get what it's like to suffer and struggle. He absolutely gets what it's like to suffer and struggle. Psalm 23, the most popular psalm. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear because you are with me. The promise of the Christian life is not peaches and cream. It's when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you won't go alone. He will go with you. God doesn't run from our suffering. He doesn't pull away from us when we struggle. He wants to carry us through that if we will allow him. You see that here. Have any of you ever seen your parents cry? Multiply that times like a billion. God is crying over the death of his friend. He's deeply invested in Lazarus, deeply invested in Mary, deeply invested in Martha. And he's deeply invested in you and in your situation. The worst thing you can do is think he doesn't care and he doesn't see. Absolutely he does. He's the same God. These weren't tears of despair. They were tears of compassion. Let me read something this real quick. Don't flip. Matthew 9, 36 to 38. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he sends his people out in chapter 12, his disciples and pairs, to minister to those crowds. Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Matthew 15, 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. And then he fed the crowd. Matthew 20, 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Mark 141, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. Mark 634, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Luke 7, 13 and 14, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. That's the same word as compassion. And he said, don't cry. Then he went and touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. Every time in the Gospels Jesus feels compassion, it motivates him to do something. These aren't tears of despair. He's crying at the tomb. He's not, woe is us, all is lost. 
this compassion he feels always motivates him to action, and he's the same today. You can trust that he's deeply invested, deeply committed to you. Therefore, this compassion he feels towards you always motivates him to action. Verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And that's the question. All right, we get it. You're compassionate. You cried. You love this guy. Then why didn't you do anything about it? Just two chapters before in, in John 9, he heals a guy who was born blind, blew everybody away. Nobody does that. And what they're saying is if you could do that, then certainly you could have healed Lazarus. Obviously, you loved him. You're crying here at the tomb. So why didn't you do anything about it? And that's where we sit. At some point, we all ask that question. God, if you could, then why didn't you? You you felt compassion, and we know you're strong. So how come it seems like you didn't do anything at all. Next week, we'll look. Jesus does something. He calls Lazarus out of the tomb, and we say, well, what about us? How come that doesn't happen for us? And the thing is, Jesus has already done something. He died, and he rose again. That's not preacher talk to get God off the hook. That's the reality of he defeated evil and all of the effects of evil, sin, sickness, poverty, death, Satan, selfishness, name it. Run the list. All of the fruit of the fall he defeated on the cross. And through the resurrection, we all who are joined with him have victory over those things. His compassion for us moved him to action. It's already done. I'm not a military historian, but stick with me on this. June 6, 1944. The Allied powers landed on the beach of Normandy. That's called D-Day. And most of these guys who study this stuff say that was the beginning of the end of World War II in Europe. That was this kind of decisive push. And from then on, we were basically kind of mopping up Europe. May 8, 1945, the Allied powers accepted the unconditional surrender of the Nazi armed forces. That's VE Day or Victory in Europe Day. The crucifixion and resurrection, that's D-Day. That's when this decisive victory over evil was inaugurated. The second coming, when Jesus comes back, that's VE Day. That's victory on the earth day, not just victory in Europe, when everything will be put right. In that 11-month time frame, let me get this right, 766,000, there were 766,294 allied casualties, including almost 200,000 deaths. So even though D-Day had occurred, The the good guys were winning. It was just a matter of time before the good guys won finally and completely. It was still a war going on. And in a war, people get hurt. And that's where we live. We live in between D-Day and V-E Day. And there's still a war going on. The victory is guaranteed because of what Jesus did on the cross. But people will continue to get hurt because that's what happens in a war. People get hurt. And people will continue to die because that's what happens in a war. People die. But it's not for nothing. Jesus has secured the victory for all of us 
but we won't experience that fully and finally and completely. I don't know why you're waiting and wondering. I can give you options and you can pick. Just pull one out of a hat. I don't have any idea why you're waiting and wondering. It could be a sin issue in your life that's keeping you from interacting with God. Absolutely. James says you don't have because you don't ask. Maybe you're not asking for God to work. You're just sitting there waiting on him to do something, but you've never actually asked. You're not seeking him for that. James also says you, ha- you ask and you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motive. Maybe that's it. Maybe you're selfish or you're, you're wanting Lazarus to be healed for the wrong reason. I don't know. Maybe what you're asking is outside of the will of God for your life. I don't know anything about any. Again, pick one. But that's not where most of us are. That's not the issue. It's not that we haven't asked. It's not that we have some blatant sin issue in our life. And it's not that we're asking for selfish reasons. It's that God isn't doing anything. And what I say is, you're in a war. It's not that he's not doing anything. He's already done everything. It's just we're not, we're not done yet. Well, then why not? Why can't he just end it now? If, if it's true, if we've already had D-Day, what is he waiting for? Why does he allow this 2,000-year interim with all of this junk that goes on? 2 Peter 3, 7 and 9 says, By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. We all love that. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You remember playing freeze tag? When someone tags you, you got to freeze in whatever position you're in. That's what happens when Jesus comes back. It's freeze tag. And everybody, whatever position they're in, you're frozen forever. So people who are running away from him are forever frozen running away from him. And people who are running toward him are forever frozen running towards him. And what he's waiting for is many people as possible to be running towards him when he comes back. He doesn't want to lose anybody. He doesn't want to lose anybody. And so he's waiting. And it's not because he enjoys suffering. It's not because he's not kind. It's not because he's weak. It's because he wants as many people as possible running towards him. So when he comes back and it's freeze, we're looking at him, not away from him, forever. That's, that's why. Yeah, we have to suffer. It's for a greater good. I hate that, but it's true. He's waiting for as many as possible. Most of you did not become Christians the day you were born. Most of that didn't happen for you. It was when you were 10 or 20 or 30. What if he'd come back before that because somebody else was struggling and they say, can't you just come back now? And you're frozen looking away. He knows. He's, he's weighing all of this. And he knows when the right time is. When as many people as I think he's going to come back when there's the, the maximum number of people are looking in the right direction. And he's going to freeze it. And so until that time, we're in a war. And we just have to recognize that. I don't want to just say buck up. But we have to recognize that we're in a war. And when we're in a war, people die. And people get sick. And people get turned around and it's not that jesus is not compassionate it's not that he he doesn't care it's not that he doesn't see it's that he's already done the best thing he's he's won the victory we're just waiting on this particular day this second coming to come 
you're going to love this part too. Flip back to verse 4. This is what Jesus says when they tell him about Lazarus being sick. This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. This whole concept of God's glory, that's deep water that we're not going to wade into this morning. But how does that sit with you? The reason your Lazarus is sick, the reason your Lazarus is dead, is because it brings more glory to God. Can you handle that? Are you okay with that? Are you okay with sin, or excuse me, with sickness or struggling or suffering because it brings more glory to God? Um, this isn't a martyr complex. This is what he says. Can, can you handle that? Can you be single if it brings more glory to God? Can you be childless if it brings more glory to God? Can you be poor if it brings more glory to God? Can you be sick if it brings more glory to God? Can you wander around aimlessly trying to figure out what your purpose is if it brings more glory to God? Can you do that? Can you handle that sometimes God might say, worship from the sick and the suffering and the struggling honors him more? They're saying he's good despite the circumstances. Could it honor him more for those folks, for Mary and Martha during this waiting and wondering time? Could it honor him more? for them to worship him than even after Lazarus was raised from the dead and they're worshiping because of what he's done. Can you, is that okay for you? If you're Mary and Martha, if you're waiting and wondering, will you choose despite all of the circumstances to worship God, to say you alone are good, to say I'm alive? Can you do that? That's kind of this whole thing that we're talking about, this waiting. The more people that are frozen this way, the more glory God gets. And so are you willing, am I willing to live in a war zone? Because ultimately that means more people are going to be looking at him forever. And so I'll take the licks. I'll take a bullet because ultimately that brings more glory to the Lord. That's not heroic. I'm just asking, can you make that statement? Even if you don't feel like it, can you do it? Waiting and one like there's no, I, I can't give you three steps. I don't know. I don't know. Mary and Martha had no idea Lazarus was ever going to be raised from the dead. When they were waiting, they did not know. Some Jews believe that a soul hung around a body for three days and just to see if the body would be resurrected. Jesus shows up on the fourth day. Lazarus is dead, dead, dead. Nobody thinks he's going to come back. Martha, when Jesus says, Lazarus will be raised from the dead. She says, yeah, I know, at the resurrection at the end of time. There's no concept, no idea in Mary or Martha that Lazarus is coming. They're just, they're where we are. We say, well, if we knew it would only be two days, I'd hang in there. They didn't know it was only going to be two days. For all they knew, this was a permanent deal. The man in their house, women had no status. The man in their house, their security was dead. Jesus could have fixed it, and he didn't. Same place we are. I can't tell you when it's going to, I don't know when it's going to happen for you. Whatever that, I have no idea, I don't know if it is, to be honest. I don't have any idea. You might have to wait until you die for whatever that is. And my question to you is, if it's for the glory of God, can you be okay with that? That's a, don't just say yes. Can you be okay with that? There's a bigger picture the more people who are frozen this way, 
the better. That's more glory for him. And if I've got to live in a war zone, if you've got to live in a war zone, which means we're going to take some hits that we're not going to understand, and we'd be okay with that. Let's pray. We're going to close with worship. Again, my encouragement to you would be, if that's you, if you're Mary and Martha, would be to worship. Make a choice this morning in the midst of your waiting, in the midst of your wondering, to say, God, you are good. You're a father. You're worthy of worship. You're beautiful. You're holy. You're majestic. Whatever, just despite your circumstances. Not as a way of manipulating him, not trying to leverage him into, into healing your Lazarus or raising your Lazarus from the dead, but because it's true and because you're saying, I'm going to give you glory. I might not ever write a book about this. I might not ever get behind a microphone and tell a room full of people, but I'm going to give you glory because of this. I'm going to choose to worship you. I'm going to choose to honor you. I want your reputation to grow in my heart and in my life. And if it means I've got to take some hits, if it means this thing that's sick dies, then so be it. Because your reputation, your glory, your honor is more important than all of that. You might not be ready to do that today. But I want to encourage you to take a step in that direction. As we prayed this week, um, one of the things that we felt the strongest is that there would be people here who want to have children and it's just not happening. And we're not guaranteeing that it's going to happen. But we feel like the Lord is present today for us to pray for those. So if that's you, if, if, if you're here, if you're here with your spouse or if it's just one of you, and that's the desire of as a couple, that's your desire, is to have children and you're struggling conceiving. We want to particularly pray for you this morning. Again, we just feel like that's something that the Lord's been stirring in our heart this week. And I know that can be a tough deal to get your hopes up again. We encourage you to take a step. If if this hit you on any level, if you're Mary and Martha and you've got a Lazarus, something you've been wanting to see that either you haven't seen or you think you're never going to see, let us pray for you this morning. Again, we're not, I, I got no promises All I know is he's good. He's compassionate towards you. He's gentle. He doesn't snuff out smoldering wicks. And so you don't have to be afraid of that. God, I pray now as we uh, turn our hearts to you in worship. I do pray that just uh, just a gentle breeze of your spirit would blow through us. I pray particularly for the Marys and the Marthas. God, that you would encourage them. God, if there are any who have disengaged, they would get back in the game. Trusting and hoping and believing. God, I pray for those who are, it's just a, it's a flicker. There's not much there. God, I pray that you would fan it into a flame. 
God, above all of those things, even above answering our prayers. God, I pray that we would be people who would say, more than anything else, our desire is for our life to bring you glory. And if it's through success and blessing and abundance, then we would love that. And if it's not, we'll take that too. Because you're worth it. In Jesus' name. You guys can stand up and we'll have some ministry teams up front. Y'all can come.